Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We, Lord, we thank you that you are alive, that you are risen. You are the king of all kings, and you are the Lord of lords. And God, we come into this place today, God. We want you to touch our hearts. We want you to speak to us in just a fresh and new way. So, Lord, come and touch our hearts. I pray for each person here. Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church. Lord, we love you today. Illuminate the word of God to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And we can have that uh, front light on there. And Good morning. It's awesome to see you. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you have taken time out of your day to be with us and uh, worship the Lord with us. It is an awesome day to be here to celebrate Jesus together. What, a, what an incredible holy day this is. You know, this is, this is the day in which we celebrate a pretty major event. You know, we remember and celebrate over the weekend, you know, we do the Good Friday service, and, and, it's, and it's these events in history that absolutely changed everything. You know, Jesus, this is why he came. He came to give up his life for us. This was his mission. His mission was to leave heaven, come to the earth, and suffer and die for us, and then be raised from the dead. This is why he came. I want us to hear this message today. I want us to hear with our hearts today in a new way. I want that for myself. This is a story that we've all heard. And yeah, it's the Easter story. We go to church and welcome to the most attended, the, the third most attended service on a Sunday throughout the year. Some kind of Christmas, Mother's Day, and Easter are all kind of right there together. You know, the birth of Jesus, the, the resurrection of Jesus, and then mom makes me come. That's, that's kind of the top three, you know. But I want, to, I want us to hear with new ears today this message that Jesus equals life. That's the title of my sermon today, Jesus equals life. You know, when we ponder, when we think about what he did, when we reflect on his death and what he bore for us, it, it should bring us to a place of humility. It should bring us to a place of awe and wonder. We should wake up every day as believers in Jesus, knowing that he died for us and he rose from the dead, and it should completely blow us away every day. That he came, that he died. It should make us look at petty things and just say, that just really doesn't matter. The King of Kings, the man Christ Jesus came and he gave up his life for me. It should bring us to a place of great humility, awe, and wonder. As believers, we hold to this truth at, with, our, with all of our heart, and it becomes our hope. These events that we celebrate and we remember, this is, this is what we bank our spiritual lives on. Without the death and resurrection of Jesus, we would not probably be here. We would be, probably be doing something else right now. This is what we give our hearts to. 
his intense love. Why did he do it? It was out of love. Why did he do it? It's because he wanted us for himself. He didn't go through all of that to make us religious. He went through it because he intensely loves each of you, and he loves me. Without his death, without his sacrifice, without his resurrection, we have no hope. If there were more than one way to get our sins forgiven, if there was more than one day, more than one way for redemption, Jesus would not have done what he did. That's why he grieved and groaned in the, all, uh, in, the, in the garden. And you see his humanity come out before the Father. And he says, Father, if, it, if this cup can pass but, you know, by me, if I don't have to go through this, if there's a plan B, Father, this would be a great time for you to, to, to do it. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And the Father brought him to that place of the cross because it was humanity's only chance. What would happen if every believer really believed and lived like they believed this? One of my favorite preachers, uh, he's an, also an author. Um, I've heard him a few times. His name is Craig Rochelle. A couple years ago, he wrote a book called The Christian Atheist. And I tell you, it is absolutely convicting to the core because he, his premise is, and it's the Christian atheist believing about Jesus, but not living as if you believe about Jesus. And as I, you know, just reflecting on that title and the premise of the book, I see myself there. I struggle for many years being a Christian atheist. I was raised in the church. Athena and I are third-generation Pentecostal, Southern Pentecostals, not just any Pentecostal. We're talking deep South Pentecostal. And we heard it all. We were raised in church. I, I've seen all kinds of different preachers and all kinds of different things happen in church. I've seen people do all kinds of things in church. I've heard screaming preachers and quiet preachers. I've heard it all. I was raised, I heard the Easter story every year, but I tell you right through, there was a period of my life where I was a Christian atheist. And I share that with, uh, as a part of my testimony because I believed it. If you said, do you believe in Jesus? Absolutely. Do you believe he died for you? Yes, I do. Do you believe he was raised from the dead? Yes, I do. But my life did not reflect what I thought I believed in my mind. And we say we believe, but do we live like we believe? Do we live as if we are convinced that it's really true? That Jesus left heaven to become one of us on the greatest missionary trip of all time took on human flesh in the form of a servant, did not love his life even unto death, died for us, and then he rose again. He's alive. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. I mean, do we really understand that? Oh, yeah, that's Easter. Do we understand what that means? that he ascended to the Father, that he's making intercession for us. He's prepared a place for us to live with him forever, that when we die, death will actually not hold us because we will still be alive. 
And this flesh will die away, but the real us will live forever. And here's the thing. We are all going to give an account of what we do with his sacrifice and his resurrection. What did we do with Jesus? I'm going to look at three passages today. Jesus equals life. I want to look at Paul here in 1 Corinthians 15, and he kind of gives this basis for the gospel of why he does what he does. This is a great passage of Scripture. Then I'm going to look at his death, and we're going to look at his resurrection. So I want you to hang on with me. I'm going to be reading a lot, but, uh, but these are such powerful truths. Write them down, study them, read them, dig in them on your own time, and we're going to go through these. But 1 Corinthians 15, I'm going to hit a few places of Scripture here. And this is Paul, and he's kind of concluding this letter to the Corinthians, but I want you to hear what he's talking about. He says, now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel. Don't we need reminding of the gospel every now and again? Today we're reminded of the gospel. We're reminded of the cross. We're reminded of the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and Paul is saying, brothers, I want to remind you of something because there's a lot of times the reason why we become Christian atheists is that we forget about love. We forget about what he did. And we forget why, he, why, why his purpose, why he, why he came and why his purpose was and then what our purpose is in him. Brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel the gospel is the good news I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And he's saying, don't, don't make the preaching of the gospel in vain. Do not hold on to it with all your heart. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance. Listen to this. And he's giving them this, the basics of the gospel. Really get this in your spirit, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. So he's giving these eyewitness accounts that this is really true. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And then he even calls himself the least of the apostles. But here in verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead and the, and then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Then he says this, very important. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What he is saying here is he's saying, I bank everything I do, my whole life, I am all in. 
you need to understand if Christ has not been raised for the dead. It's futile. It's useless. We need to find something different to do. I'm all in, and I give my life to it. I am all in on this. If Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we are lying, we are delusional, and we need to go find a, a hobby or something. But I give my life to this. Remind you of the gospel, of the good news that Jesus died for your sins. He took on punishment. He gave up everything. And then he was raised from the dead three days. We need to be reminded of the gospel. By the gospel, we are saved. Isaiah 52. In light of the gospel, I want us to look a little deeper into the gospel of Jesus and what he did. This is the prophecy of Jesus. This is the payment that he made for us. Most of you will be, again, you'll, you'll be familiar with these passages. Some of you probably have memorized parts of this. But in light of what Paul's saying, he said, I want to remind you, I want to remind you today of what Jesus did. And I want us to stand in awe and wonder of him. First of all, Isaiah 52, 13 through 15. This is important to know because we need to understand the depth in which he suffered. It says this, see, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any man and his form marred beyond human likeness. So will he sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. He was marred beyond recognition. Some people criticize the Passion of Christ because they thought it was too graphic. Actually, if you think about it in context of this passage, it probably wasn't graphic enough. Most people thought that he was borderline um, dehydrated, and so it would cause swelling. Some doctors have, have grabbed a hold of this, and of years ago that there was a medical description of what he may have gone through with the blood loss, with everything that he endured. They said his head may have been twice the size of its of normal size. I'm not trying to say this to, 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 to freak you out. I'm just talking about what he endured was unimaginable and physically unimaginable. But we're going to look at something very interesting here because it was not just physical. Isaiah 53, verse 1, who has believed our message? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like the root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering or acquainted with suffering. Today, if you are suffering in any way, Jesus Christ understands you because he's acquainted with your suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Listen to this promise. This is for us. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds or his stripes we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence nor was any deceit in his mouth. Listen to this. Yet it was the Lord's will or the good pleasure of the Lord to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. I want to look at this passage just for a moment. This prophecy of Jesus, that we preach the cross. Why do we preach Jesus? Why do we preach the cross? Paul said this, I preach Christ and him crucified. The cross is the very power of God. Verse 1, it's interesting because he said, who has believed our message? This was written on the day in the book of Isaiah. This was written to religious people. Who has believed our message? And that's what I'm talking about earlier when I'm talking about getting getting a fresh look at this story is because the prophecy of Isaiah, he'd say to the religious, who's believed our message? And everybody's hand goes up. We believe it. And in here, we could take, you know, Paul and the vast majority of you guys would say, you know, I, you know do you believe this message? Do you believe the, the, the cross? Do you believe the resurrection? Yeah, we believe it. And it's easy for us to have that, the, the, the religious hand raised and saying we believe it. Who's believed our message? We hear it, we grow up with it, but we get numb to it. And again, that was me. Forgetting about the wonder of what he did. It's interesting, verse 2, it says he had no beauty or majesty that would attract people to him. Jesus came into a time of history, and he was like the common folk. He wore their, their garb. He didn't dress like the Pharisees did. And he came with no beauty or natural beauty or attraction. And, you know, the, I think the Pharisees had in their mind the religious mindset is we create an image of Christ and then we want him to be, bear our image and we make an image of him and say, fit in within in that image. And he didn't do that. And so he came into their midst and here they have the Son of God, the Messiah in their midst and they miss him. Not only did they miss him, but they turned on him. And they hated him and they despised him. These are the religious. They had all the prophecies about him. They memorized the prophecies about him. They knew who he was supposed to be. And yet here comes Jesus. And their hearts were not transformed because he did not fit in their mold and they could not stand him. And Isaiah says it was going to happen. He prophesied it. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. In other words, he didn't come and he wasn't regal and, you know, like some of the Jesuses that we have, you know, six foot four British with blue eyes. He wasn't British, by the way. He was an average guy, looked average. He wasn't average. We know that. 
but he looked common because he became one of us. And there was no beauty in him, no natural beauty to it would attract us to him. Folks, the same, the same warning, the same prophecy we need to have in our hearts is that he can come and we can miss him. Because we say, well, when he comes, it's going to look like this. Oh, no, I know because this happened and he came and he touched me at camp when I was 17 and, and it came like this. And so that's what it means. No, 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 you will miss him. That's called experiential theology when you conform Jesus to your experiences and say that's the only way he can do it. That's why he healed differently. He ministered differently because he did not want us to put him a form on him. He wants us to know him. Relationship with him. Because when you have relationship with him, you walk with him, and he may not do things the way you think he's going to do, but he will be in your midst. And sometimes if we have a form, or he's got to do it this way, or he's got to answer my prayer this way, and I told God what he's going to do, and I named and claimed this, and he doesn't do it, we get discouraged and we miss him. When we, he doesn't fit in our little, we conform within our little definition of him. He breaks all that out. We've got to look for him and not the thing. We've got to look for him instead of the miracle. We need to look for him instead of the answer because he is all those things. Verse 3 is key here because it says this about him. I want you to hear this. He said he was despised and rejected by men. They despised him. They rejected him. Here he is, the Messiah, man of sorrows, familiar with suffering like one whom men hide their faces. He was despised, listen to this, and we esteemed him not. That is key. We did not esteem him. The reason why they missed him is they did not esteem him. What does it mean to esteem? It means to place value, extreme value. It's to put something in its rightful place. It's precious it's those things that you have, the definition is those things that you have, maybe it's a possession, maybe it's a, you know, more, more, more likely it's a relationship that you hold, to value. you don't just treat any old way. And because he didn't fit in their mold, they just did not value him at all. And they didn't esteem him, they didn't put high, precious price on him. He became familiar Remember the one time where they said, who is it? This is, this is Mary's son, and we know his brothers, and, and it was in his, in his own hometown they rejected him. And he says he could do no, not many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Right, right there, if you study that, it was because of lack of honor. He's just common. We know who he is. He's, he's that kid. Yeah, his dad was Joseph, and that, it can't be him. And he, he could do no a lot of miracles in that area because of their lack of honor. They just didn't esteem him, and they missed him altogether. We need a new esteem for Jesus Christ. We need a new honor for him. Let me ask you today, how valuable is the cross to you? How valuable is his sacrifice to you personally? I'm not talking about that you've heard the story and it's just, 
you know, you, I've heard all these passages. I'm saying today, look at your own heart, because uh, this is a challenge to me. And I think of those years that I wasted as a Christian atheist. And how valuable is the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus? How valuable is that to you? Do you esteem it? Do we realize what he did? Then verses 4 and 5, it talks about the brutality of the cross. That he took our infirmities. He was marred beyond recognition, as Isaiah 52 said. That was the price that he paid for you and me. And again, we must never forget it. That's what Paul was saying. He said, I I, I hang my life on that place. That is the mountain that I will die on. That this is the truth. Jesus came and my message, my life, my all in all is banked on that event that he came, he died, and he rose from the dead, and I'm going to live it out all my days. And when we think of something, how valuable it is, again, it should bring us to a place of humility. We think of it every day, that we esteem his death in the life that we live. You know, that's a, one of the ways that we can, we can bring him great honor and great esteem is that we esteem him in the life that we live. That we show that it's valuable. But to have the resurrected Christ in us, we must take up our own cross, as Jesus says. He goes, if you want to be my follower... Take up your own cross daily and follow me. Lay down your life. Serve. Surrender and humble yourselves every day. And then verse 6, he calls us out here. This is so funny. We all like sheep have gone astray. There's a reason why people are called sheep, folks. If you've ever been around sheep, I haven't been around them a lot, but you do a little bit of study on sheep, there's a reason why people are called sheep. David had that whole thing. Psalm 23 is it's, you know, we are aimlessly wandering. We'll go right off a cliff. We'll just do this or that. I mean, they're not the brightest creatures on the planet. So we're all together in this, by the way. We're all, I'm just a fellow sheep like you. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned our own way. This is, this is the human condition. This is control. This is not surrender. This is I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go and we just get stubborn. I'm going to go this way. And as we're doing that, listen to this, is because that's the, sin, the sinfulness is just simply living our own life and, and uh, disregarding what God has called us to. We're going to do whatever we want. We're going to do how we want. And then it says this, that, that, that he, the Father, laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. All of our wandering, all of our sin, all of us doing our own thing, Jesus took that upon himself. Because Jesus was the Lamb of God, the sacrifice. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Then verse 10 is actually a very shocking passage of Scripture. Maybe you've never seen it in this way before, and it says this, because it's talking about what he went through, that we like sheep, we've gone astray. He laid down his life for us, verse 10, yet it was the Lord's will. Some translations say it was the Lord's good pleasure to crush him. Okay, I'm going to say something right now that's going to maybe freak you out. Do you, see, do you hear what it's saying, what Isaiah is saying? That the Father killed Jesus? I mean, have you ever thought about it in that light? 
It was the Lord's good pleasure, the Lord's will to crush him. It doesn't say that it was the Lord's good will to allow him to be crushed by the Romans. It was the Lord's good pleasure and will to crush him, that the Father killed him. That just, that just should destroy our hearts before him and say, oh my goodness, what in the world is this? Why would God do this? Because the Bible says this, that Jesus bore in his body, his very body upon himself, he bore in his body our sin. And so more than the Isaiah 52 where it was just, it was a physical, brutal, horrific execution that the Romans had perfected and they could cause lots of pain. Just the pain side of it was awful. But then there's the spiritual side that Jesus, he bore all of our sin upon his body. Every sin that you committed, every sin that I committed, every sin from the generations past till generation ahead of us, every single sin was laid upon him and he bore it. And so in bearing the sin, the Father, see, the, the Father has it because he's a just God. He, is, he embodies justice. He is good, and he is just. And so a just God, without error in him, has to judge sin. And so he sent his Son, bore our sin upon himself, and then God judged that sin in his son, and he crushed him because he was crushing the sin. That is why on that dark cross that day, when the sky grew dark as night, God had to look away from his own son because he was bearing the sin, and God said, I can't even look at sin because he's a just and perfect God. And Jesus cried out in his humanity, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the humanity of Jesus was upon that cross. He was fully God, but he was fully man. You know, a lot of people go, well, you know, he was Jesus. He was God in the flesh. Well, maybe, maybe God alleviated the pain or something, you know, because, you know, he's God and he could. No, he bore it all. He bore the pain. He bore the sin. He bore the shame. He bore the guilt. He bore it all upon him. And the Father, the will of the Father was to crush him. And it says this, and again, in some translations, it said it was the Father's good pleasure. Why Doesn't that sound kind of dark? Because it was. Here's why it says that it was the Father's good pleasure to crush him. is because his mission was you and me. His mission was us. His mission was to lay his life, bear our sins so that we would not have to bear it ourselves. And again, we like sheep have gone astray. And all we simply have to do is we receive his sacrifice and we live for him. And we live as if we believe it. Because if we continue and say, no, I reject that. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to go my own way. Then you will bear your own sin on that day. Because you will stand before God. You will, give, you will give an account. That's why this life is relatively short. You get 80, 90, 100 years, God bless you. It's still short compared to eternity, and we'll stand before Jesus. 
What did you do with the sacrifice of Jesus? Well, you were like a sheep that went your own way. So therefore, you will bear your own sin. You will bear your own punishment. It's not going to be good because that's the justice of God. How could a loving God send someone to hell? He does not. When you reject his sacrifice, when you reject what he did, you get to bear your own sin. That's, and the exchange is Jesus already bore it so that we didn't have to. It was the Lord's good pleasures because that's how much he loves us. If you're doubting God's love, look at the cross. If you're doubting God's love, think about all the guilt, the shame, all that you've ever done, and then take a look at the cross. Jesus paid it all. That was why it was significant on the cross when he said it is finished, which really, really means paid in full. Your account, your debt is freed, paid. This should make us happy. This should make us shout. This should make us so excited that we can't even stand being around each other, kind of. In a good way. You know that he did not die because we are good. He died because he's good. We're not good. If you're going to get to heaven by your goodness, it's not going to work. He died because he's good. We are not. If it was about goodness, if it was about humanism, if it was about living up to some sort of standard of morality, Jesus would have come to the earth. And a lot of people, a lot of humanists, they love Jesus. You know what? And they just try to make him a moral figure. He's the son of the living God that bore the sins of the world upon himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to heaven. And we need to know that. Because then his message would have been to us, if it was a humanistic, be moral, he would have come and he would have done a lot of teachings. Be nice to everyone. Love your grandmother. Call her twice a week. He would have gone through this list and then he would have said, Goodbye. And then he would have just gone up and we'd have like, ooh, clap, 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 and we'd all just be nice. Except it doesn't work because we're not nice. Our hearts are deceitfully wicked. And let's look at the final story in closing, Luke 24. This is why we are here today. Is that he did not stay dead. That should be exciting. He did not stay dead. Which is amazing to me because there's so many miracles in that. I mean, it's, it's just crazy that he came back from the, from the dead. I mean, that should blow our lids off right there. But how he was marred and how he was crucified and all that he went through, that he would be raised from the dead and, and, and like look like he did. That staggers me. Luke 24, on the first day of the week, this is verse 1, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified on the third day, be raised again. Then they remembered his words that Jesus is alive. 
that Jesus is reality, that Jesus equals life, that Jesus defeated death, that through his death, through his resurrection, he purchased life for us. That's why Jesus said, I come to give you life more abundantly. That on this earth, we can have abundant life. And that doesn't mean that, that we have wealth and riches and never have problems. No, it's just abundant life is that he walks with us through it. That should be awesome. Peace in the midst of the storm is Jesus. Hope in the midst of despair, you have Jesus. Abundant life that he purchased for us. When we surrender our lives to him and we receive his sacrifice, we don't have to fear death or the grave. That's why Paul talked about in, in, in 2 Corinthians when he's, he's wrestling with being alive and going to heaven. It's almost like he's caught in the middle here. He's like, you know, there's really nothing holding me to the earth. I, I want to go to heaven, but for your sakes, I'm still here. But I can't wait because it's true. It's real. The reality of eternal life that God did not just give us abundant life through Jesus on the earth. He's promised us abundant life in heaven. That we get to live for it with him forever and ever. We get to rule and reign with him and be very much alive. But he is also, he's in, in this life that we live, he wants to give us the he wants us to live the resurrected life because we, he wants us to have him in us. And the key verse here is where the angels say to the ladies, they, they say, Why do you look for the living among the dead? And I want to key in on that for all of our hearts today. He says, he's not here. He's risen. He's not among the dead anymore. Remember how he told you, and that's what he's saying. Remember how he told you that this was going to happen. Why are you continually looking for the living among the dead? He's not among death anymore. If you want to find Jesus, you've got to look for life in him. But he desires that we walk in the true life that he gives. You notice how we look for life in all the wrong places sometimes? I want to just say this. If you're looking for life, true life, outside of him, you're looking among the dead. The same thing the angels told those ladies. Why are you looking? For the living among the dead. You need to go look for Jesus out there because he is alive. And we, a lot of times we find ourselves in this life that we're looking around for life in all the wrong places. And again, some people look, look for life in religion. You'll never find life in religion. Religion is dead. You'll never find life in good works. You might find a little good feeling every now and again that you do the good works, but the good works are not into salvation now, that we are created for good works in Christ Jesus to do. But if you're looking for life in the good works outside of Christ, it will lead you to death because it will destroy your heart. You won't find true life there. If you're looking for life in morality, again, you might feel a little bit better about yourself, but you're not going to find true life. Sometimes people are looking for life in relationships just get married, if I could just have that guy, that girl, if I could just have that relationship and we put people in the place that Jesus was intended to be. And then we just get ever so disappointed when they don't meet up to the expectations that only God can fill. Well, that will lead you to death when you're trying to find life in relationships. 
We don't, have, we don't find life in the church in our giftings or our callings. I'm, I'm really glad to be a pastor, but my life is in Jesus. I'm thankful for what I get to do, but my life is in Jesus Christ. Some people look for life or some form of life in an addiction. A lot of times it's just to try to forget about the other part of life and escape the reality of this life. And so we get, go to an addiction to just say we just kind of create an altar life for ourselves that will lead to death. Sometimes we're looking for, for life in money. My question is, how much money would then equal life? Because there are millionaires that are the most miserable, depressed people on the planet. Some people try to find life and power. You'll never find it. It leads to death. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He's not there. He's risen. He's alive. You will find life in him. What's your source of life today? We must not look anywhere else for life other than the one who is life. He's the source of life. And he's come today to give us a new way to him, to resurrect us from the inside out, to maybe resurrect some of those dead things that's in, that are inside of us that he wants to, to give us life in him today. Again, life is not found in those things. It's found in him alone. How do we do it? We humble ourselves before him. We surrender our hearts before him. We bow our knee, we bow our hearts, and say, Jesus, it's all about you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for life. I give you my life, and then I tell you, he will resurrect. You will have true joy. You will have true love. You will have true peace. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, I've preached on this many times, but it's where Jesus makes a declaration about himself, but it's in John 11. You don't have to turn there. But it, Lazarus, his friend, has died. Mary and Martha, you know, the two sisters, their brother Lazarus has died. Jesus was very good friends with these people. He traveled, would stay with them. Well, word comes to Jesus, and I'm just kind of giving you the, uh, the short version of this. But, you know, word comes to Jesus, Lazarus is sick, and, Jesus, and it says Jesus waits He's very sick. Then word comes to him that he's dead. Don't worry about coming. Then, then he says, it's time for us to go. He gets there. Lazarus has been dead for four days. Martha meets him out there. If you would have only been here, my, our brother would not have died. And then Jesus makes a declaration to her that's pretty amazing. Because he said, I am the resurrection and the life. I am life, Martha. You think four days dead is any hard thing for me? Because this was more than a miracle. This was more than Jesus raising a guy up from the dead that had been dead for four days. He was making a statement that he was bigger than death itself. And he was also making a statement that says he is not too far gone. I want to tell you today, you're not too far gone. The relatives, the friends that you've been praying for, some people have prodigals in their family that are far away from God. They're not too far gone for, from Jesus. Your shame does not make you too far gone. Your past, your sin, the things that you're dealing with, the things that you're struggling with today, they do not make you too far gone from the hand of Jesus Christ. 
And I think a lot of people are dictated by their shame and their guilt and their sin. And what we're saying is, Jesus, basically what Martha was saying, Jesus, you're not powerful enough. You could have healed his sickness, but you can't raise him from the dead. And she's grieving and crying and saying, if you would have only been here. Jesus was saying, do you think that I'm not greater than death itself? I am the resurrection and the life. Then he says this, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. You see why he's saying this is more than just a miracle that he was about to do? Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe that your brother that's in the grave, do you think that I'm not that, you don't think I'm bigger than death? You think he's too far gone? Because the Bible says that he, you know, they're saying, well, he probably stinks by now. There's no even, why would you do that? And Jesus goes over to that tomb, and it does say that he wept. And the people go, well, see how he loved him. I don't necessarily know that Jesus was weeping because that he, he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. They were going to hang out for a while longer. I think Jesus was weeping because they were missing who he really was. I am life. You know what I think that probably brings a tear to the the eyes of Jesus is when he sees his people and we really don't trust him as our life source. And we're looking for life and we're looking for living all among the dead and we're looking for life in all the wrong places and that grieves his heart because he's saying, I'm right here. All that wandering and all that looking that you're doing, I'm right here. You want life? I am right here. And we try to find it in all these other places. And we're looking and we're searching. And he says, I am right here. And it grieves his heart that we don't turn to him. And he says, I was here all along and I want to give you life. Because I am life. Whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's what he's saying. Your flesh will die. Yeah, that's not even the real you. But when you belong to me, this body will pass away, but you will be with me forever. You'll find life in me. Do you believe this? That's what he asked Martha. Do you believe this? And what he's saying is, I'm not saying, do you, do you have it in your head? It goes back to the Christian atheist thing. Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Yes. Does your life reflect? No, it doesn't. I don't believe that. I, be- I, don't, I don't live like I believe that he's really alive. I lived that way for many years. And it's important because he's saying, Martha, do you believe this? Not in your head, not intellectually, not, yeah, that was told to me. I learned about that in Sunday school. We sang songs. It was neat. We did programs. We, you know, yeah, I, I believe that. No, he's saying, is your life, do you have life transformational belief in you? Do you live like you believe it? Because right now you're grieved, Martha. You're grieved over this death and this temporary thing. Do you understand that I am the resurrection and the life? And he wants us to move this thing that we go, yeah, I believe, yeah, Easter and Jesus came and, you know, Christmas, he's a baby and you know, Santa, bon- you know, Santa Claus and we throw the Easter bunny and all this stuff in there. Yeah, and that's one that day and I go to church like and then my mom, Mother's Day, and we have all this stuff going on. But do we really believe it? And he's saying what he said to Martha to us, do you really believe it? Because if you want to find life, you find it in me. And again, it was way bigger than just raising this guy from the dead. Jesus could have done that. He, I mean, he could have stayed where he was. 
Remember the one miracle he did? It just said he, he, he sent the word and they found the, you know, the, the, the centurion servant was healed that very hour. He just sent his word. He could have done that. He was making a statement that he's not just a miracle worker. He is life. How valuable is Jesus to you today? How valuable is the cross? How valuable is the resurrection to us? Do you esteem him? I want to value him greatly. I want to live like I really believe this. Because if we really believed it, folks, the church should be setting the world upside down. This should be more than just something that we contain in this building. We should all be carers. This should make us so happy that Jesus bore my sins and I don't have to. I should live in, in great joy every day. I should be jumping around, clicking my heels everywhere I go. That I don't have to bear my own sin. That Jesus has given me life. That he has made a place for me. That when I die from this earth, I get to be with him forever. This is the gospel. Like Paul said, let me remind you in 1 uh, Corinthians 15. Let me remind you. Let me remind you of the gospel. This is good news. Let me remind you. Let me tell you what happened. You know, that guy Jesus, he really did die for you. He really rose from the dead for you. He really is, went to heaven. He really is making a place for you. Do you believe this? So I want us to have a new place of surrender today. Surrender to the resurrected one, the one who lives, the one who is life. Let him give you life. Come to the cross to find life. Allow him in today. Turn, turn everything over to him. Turn it to him. Give it to him in a fresh way. And I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where you're at spiritually. You, you do. I don't know where you're at, whether you, maybe you're searching, maybe you're a new believer, maybe you're interested, maybe you've been a believer for 60 years. But it doesn't matter. We need a fresh touch of the gospel today. We need a fresh reminder of him today. And I, I, I encourage you to go to the cross today. Let this be a day of celebration, yes, but let it be a day of reflection where you say, Jesus, I give you all that I am and I need your life. Forgive me for looking for life, looking for the living among the dead. I need you, the resurrected Jesus in me. Let's pray. Jesus, today we, Lord, again, more than just a holiday that we celebrate, Lord, more than just a holiday where we get together with family, that's all awesome and, and, and wonderful and valuable. And I do pray, God, today that people would just have an awesome time with their family and their friends. And Lord, those that are alone, that they would have an awesome time with you today. But Lord, we want to remember we want the reminder of what you did for us. And I pray for each person in this room. And I, I want to do this because I just think it's important. But everybody, everybody's just, you know, bow your heads, close your eyes. And I, I just, I feel like it's important just before the Lord that you're saying today, I need, I need, I need new life. I've, li I've looked for life among dead places. And I want to just freshly surrender. Again, I don't, I don't, I, it, it, whether you've been a Christian a long time or a little time or you're searching, and you just say today, I want to surrender my life fresh and new today. I want you to raise your hand. Lord, thank you for the hands that just went up. I pray, God, you're blessing your life over each one of these precious people.
Lord, that you see their hearts. Lord, I pray for all of us today. I pray, God, for myself included, that we would find life in you and you alone. You are good, you are awesome, and you are alive. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have an awesome, blessed day with your families, and uh, God bless you.